Hey, Dream Kittens. It's Dane. And Ellie. And we are so happy to be back from see break. See what I did there with the Dream Kittens thing? It'll come oh, in. You'll, you'll know in a second. Dream Kittens. A that matters a, a lot. <laughs> we'll tell okay. you later. So we have this challenge, which is right now only a little bit of people know about the show, but the ones that do seem to really love it. But we really, really, really need your help to spread the word so that a lot of people can know about the show. Um, for Dream Boy to keep going, which we really want it to, we need more listeners, which means we need an army of you. Dream Kittens. An army of dream kittens. We literally need an army of kittens to spread the word about Dream Boy. Okay, so actually here's what you do. If you want to help us, all you have to do is talk about the show. Talk about it on all social media. Talk about it in real life. But if you talk about it online, make sure you tag us. And why not use the hashtag Dream Kittens because we made it up and we actually really like it. And we want an army of kittens to save Dream Boy. And just get the fucking word out there. Tell your mom, tell your dad, tell everyone you've ever met. Tell them about us, please. <laughs> <laughs> what, would, what would an army of kittens sound like anyway? It'd be like... <laughs> anyway, thank you so much. Thank you. Enjoy the episode. Bye. Thank you for waiting, Mrs. Hankelman. Here's all the paperwork. It's all done. Just sign on the line and we'll put this whole sordid affair behind us, okay? How can you do this? Everything Henry did, he did for his family. This land has given us so much and and what you're offering is... is more than I need to offer, frankly. Look, Mrs. Hankelman, I knew your husband in college. I liked Henry, really, I did. He really stepped up for my family out here after I went to New York, and I appreciate that. I don't forget that. But you and I both know he was hardly the man described on that plaque downtown, and you know I'm right. It would be a terrible shame if his legacy was stained right here at the beginning of his eternity, and I can prevent that. All I want is some orchard land, Mrs. Hankelman. So you can just dig it all up for nothing, like all your other land. One day, these actions will come to judgment, and I just wish I could see it. Wish I could see you tremble and fall before God into the fires. (laughs) Hardly God, Mrs. Hankelman. See, the great pornography that is our cosmos will grind me and you both down to dust eventually. Smear us out into black never ever with one easy swipe. No warning, no fanfare, no remorse. And then, we're both gonna be had. Had like two stinking bitches in the middle of all that night. that's a long way off. And right now we're in my office. And the name on the gold plaque in front of you is my name. And my name is John Stonefall. 
and your name isn't. Don't forget the date, Mrs. Hankelman. Some people say John Stonefall named Pepper Heights after Henry Henkelman's favorite dog, Pepper, which was pretty low considering Stonefall had just swindled Henry's widow out of that land. Others say it was to make fun of the Shakers, who had their own heights nearby, that they refused to sell to him when he went crazy and started digging all of his holes. Nobody really knows. Nobody really cares anymore either. That was a hundred years ago. But I can see why he liked it here. The huge trees, the soft hills, they're all still here, around the houses. And it seemed ideal when I first got here. But then I met the creepy not Girl Scouts and Luke. And everything got, I don't know, weirder. Now me and Luke are in his room, in the upstairs of the empty house, our bodies twisted together on his sleeping bag on the floor. My hand is still hurting from the wasp sting earlier in the day, and I'm lost in the colors of his bruises. I look up and see him looking at me. He's so close to me, it's like his face is the whole world. Hey. Hey. I smile. And then I smell it. A smell like Christmas is on fire. And then smoke through the window. Is something on fire? We both get up and look out. There's black smoke pouring out of the back door of the neighbor's house. Howdy lady's house. Then I hear the smoke alarm start to go off. That's a lot of smoke. Then me and Luke look at each other and our eyes go wide. Oh my God, that old lady. We both jump up and put on clothes. Pants and shirts, just bare minimum. No socks, no underwear. Then we run downstairs. I don't even put on shoes. We just leap out the front door and scramble across Howdy Lady's lawn. Her front door is locked. Let's try the back. We run around the house. The grass is wet and cold on my bare feet. We get to the back door. It's a screen door. But there's a lot of smoke. Luke yells through the screen. Hello? Do you need help? Nothing. No answer. Fuck, fuck. What do we do? Luke looks at me, and then takes a breath, and then yanks open the door and rushes inside. Wait, Luke! I wait a couple seconds, and then I go in after him. We're in her kitchen, and I try to stay low. <coughs> Hello? Luke, the oven. There's smoke billowing out of the oven. Luke opens the oven door. <coughs> More smoke billows out. He covers his eyes with one arm and then reaches out for an oven mitt with the other. We both cough. <coughs> I lose him in the smoke. <coughs> and then I hear him yell. <coughs> Watch out. <coughs> Watch out. I'm coming through. <coughs> Luke runs past me <coughs> with a smoking pan. <coughs> he stumbles outside through the screen door. The smoke alarm is still blaring. Smoke's still everywhere. I start opening windows and fanning with my arms. (coughs) (coughs) 
Luke comes back in. He goes back through the smoke <coughs> and turns the oven off. Then he helps me open windows and fan with a kitchen rack. <coughs> we fan for a minute or so. The smoke is starting to clear. We can breathe again. We look around. Maybe she's not here? I almost yell, howdy lady, but I stop myself. Hello? Is anybody here? Yell if you can hear us. <coughs> and then I see it. On the other side of the kitchen, a red plastic phone, just the receiver, hanging on the wall. It's an old one. Like my grandma used to have a landline rotary dial. Its red curly cord stretched tight across the kitchen, almost tight enough to take out its curls, slanting down into the open basement door, down into the dark. Me and Luke look at each other, and then we follow it down the stairs. Are you down here? We're coming. Maybe she's calling the fire department? It's dark in the basement. But now that we're down here, I see dim warm light coming from some side room, like further into the basement. And the red phone cord crosses the darkness to the doorway of that side room and then hooks around the corner and disappears. Luke tries yelling again. Hello? We look at each other, then back to the red cord. As we follow it across the basement, I hear a sound I haven't heard in 15 years, probably. The off-hook tone of a landline telephone. We enter the basement side room and see her. Howdy, lady. Standing facing the wall, away from us. Her arm is straight and stiff at her side. Her hand clutching the phone. Then the off-hook tone ends. Just the sigh of a dead line. Are you okay? She doesn't really answer. She's still facing away from us. We get closer. Um, excuse me, ma'am? I reach out to tap her shoulder, and she turns around. This blank look in her eyes. She's older than I thought, but she wears it well. She looks at me, sort of. I'm, I'm Dane. I'm staying a couple doors down at Emily's house. She doesn't respond, she just stares. And then she looks at Luke, and her eyes get wide. Um, hi, I'm Luke. I know who you are. You're Luke Prescott. Yeah. Then she holds up a small, empty cardboard box in her other hand. I know what it is immediately. Luke's name is written in cursive on the top. Howdy Lady is sitting on a wooden chair at her dining room table. Me and Luke had helped her get up the stairs. She complained the whole time that she didn't need our help, even though she was squeezing my arm so hard it made my hand tingle. When I first saw the upstairs ten minutes ago, running through smoke, at a glance, the place seemed cluttered, like a hoarder's house. But now that I'm up here again and the smoke is cleared, I see that 
there is indeed a whole lot of stuff, like everywhere, but it's all arranged so perfectly, curated and separated. Like, all the figurines of green animals are on the same shelf and arranged by size, and same with the white animals and brown animals. There are probably 30 snow globes on our mantle. One wall is covered entirely in antique tools, hung precisely on nails all the way up to the ceiling. Another wall is hundreds of little patches of different animal fur, all arranged in a quilt-like pattern. There are bottles arranged by color on more shelves and more knickknacks, all sorts. It's all displayed and situated in swirling, ordered scenes on every surface. It all adds up to a perfect symphony of this woman. Even the kitchen table, where she's sitting, is almost half covered in music boxes. She had turned one on as soon as she got upstairs. And now it's slowing down in that way that music boxes do. Then there's the kitchen, which is absolutely pristine and uncluttered. It's an open kitchen, separated from the dining room only by a counter. The dining room, in turn, is discernible from the living room only by a change in floor type, from carpet to linoleum. The kitchen sink is under a window that faces the backyard. Now, Luke is standing on the other side of the kitchen counter, facing us, the sink on his left, his brow furrowed, eyes fixed on that cardboard box on the counter in front of him. I'm sitting on the arm of a worn-out leather recliner. Howdy Lady is on her chair between the two of us. When she introduced herself to us, she used her full name, Cora Della Roach, which she says means heart of the rock. I don't quite understand, which seems to make her mad. Cora Della Roach, heart of the rock. Okay, um, do you have any family we should call or anything? Of course I have family, but I'll never be that shaken up. She looks around her kitchen. It's still hazy, but definitely breathable now. Then she stares at her oven, the door blackened. You kiddos might have just saved my ass. Um, why is my name on this box? Cora looks up at Luke. What, you didn't get the other two? Then she looks at me. You didn't give him the other two. Then Luke looks at me. Well, I... The, the first one, I didn't know him yet. And the second, I... I mean, I ate it. I look at Luke sheepishly. Wait, what? <laughs> well, okay, hungry little hippo here. Well, why were you leaving them at my house? Cora ignores me and just answers Luke's question. It's not a big deal. Really. That's a cake box. Oh. Luke still looks confused. But so am I. See, I have these dreams about people, and I've always had them, and they can be a lot to hold by myself. So, I send the cakes to the people in the dreams to make me feel better. Okay? So you dream about me? Her face softens. Yes. (sighs) What do you dream? And why did you send them to my house? It ain't your house, is it? You know what I mean. She looks back at Luke. Hun, I only ever told two people what I dreamed about him. And I said I wouldn't ever again. The dreams are for me. I give the cakes so I can keep the dreams. Cora looks at both of us in turn. 
Then she sighs. My eyes fall on a clean white envelope sitting by itself on the dining room table under the warm light of the chandelier above. It's been opened. There's a letter hanging half out of it in trifold. I can't read it, but I see the pepper height zoo letterhead peeking out. Wait, is that letter from the zoo? Yeah. She reaches out and puts her hand on the letter, closing the fold. They're probably asking for money, huh? Why would you think that? Well, uh, just because it's, I mean, I work there and it's, they're always like asking for money and... You work there? Yeah. She looks me up and down. Hmm. Well, you ain't exactly wrong. Then she hands me the letter. I unfold it. I see a smiling zebra face and the words Pepper Height Zoo across the top. Dear Miss Della Roach, this letter is to notify one Cora Della Roach residing at 1307 Woodshire Road, Cleveland, Ohio, of the impending acquisition of the land and all permanent structures thereon associated with and deeded under the above address. This is to declare that in accordance with requisite circumstances outlined in Article 13C of the Stonefall Land Charter, all above-mentioned assets will be absorbed into the Stonefall Estate exactly 30 days from the signing of this letter and will thusly fall under the jurisdiction of same. The immediate liquidation of said assets is at this point the sole and solid intent of the beneficiary and expedition of this process is considered the highest priority. It is for this reason that Ms. De La Roche is required to remove from the premises her person and any personal belongings not listed above as transferable assets within 30 days of the signing of this letter. Failure to do so will be considered trespassing and will be fully prosecuted as such. Extensions will not be considered regards. Bernard Sanford, Esquire. What's... What's all that mean? He's gonna take my house is what? Wait, who? Eli. Or the zoo. I don't understand. How could Critch take your house? Or the zoo, even? Well, it's not exactly the zoo. They're just robbing Peter to pay Paul. The zoo is Paul. Well, then who is they? Cora looks up at Luke, narrows her eyes a little bit. Who you think? The stone falls. Wait, they're still around? A money family like that don't just disappear. They spread out. It's like a drawing someone left out in the rain. You can't tell what it is anymore, but the paper's still purple. They're still here, still holding the strings. Ever see that big building on the other side of the woods behind the zoo? The one with no windows? That's Stonefall Labs. It's all secret government stuff. That's also the business headquarters of the Stonefall Estate. She reaches out and takes back the letter. Shakes it at me a little bit. That's where our little Bernard works, I bet. (laughs) But why do they want your house? Cora turns to Luke. She softens whenever she talks to him. It's starting to make me feel like she doesn't like me. The zoo always needs money. Eli tried to make it profitable, added a roller coaster, but, you know. And now he's doubling down with this new exhibit, looks like. The Forgotten Sea. (laughs) I do like that name. But it's the Stonefalls. They must have plenty of money. Why do they have to take a small house in Pepper Heights? That doesn't make any sense. Cora is still looking away, lost in some memory. Her face registers question after question we watch as she follows dark paths in her mind. 
I look at Luke. He looks squirmy, like there's something that's trying to get out of him. And then it gets out. Why can't you tell me what was in your dream? No, baby. I mean, I just want to know. I'm not trying to... No. Cora's face wrinkles in sudden anger. She looks up at Luke. I ain't going to tell you, so quit asking. But then she softens again. She's quiet for a moment before she speaks. It's all stuff you're going to find out anyway. Then her energy completely changes and she suddenly gets up, makes her way across the room. And when she's walking, I notice something I completely missed before. Whoa, a piano. Cora stops and turns to me and smiles. You play? (laughs) Yeah. Then she turns and walks up to the piano. She pulls up the lid, revealing the yellowed keys like an elephant's smile. Then she flips a few levers. There's this weird motorized hiss and a piano roll starts moving. The keys start moving. It's a player piano. I know this music. This is one of the songs that those sisters recorded for the zoo. The, I don't know, the something sisters. I can never remember their name. Cora smiles, a slow, funny smile. The Della Roach sisters, you mean. Whoa. That was your family? Yes. (laughs) My mom and her friend and her friend's sister, but my mom had the better name, so they used hers. But they recorded those songs in the 60s, right? I mean, how could there be old-timey piano rolls of their music. I don't... Like, doesn't make any sense. That piano's a hundred years old, it looks like. That's about right, actually. She admires the piano, runs her hand along the dark wood. It has a lot of very detailed carving, swirls and flowers and vines. It's really quite exquisite. Then she turns to me. This isn't a version of the Della Roach sister song. It's the other way around. My mom put words to this music when she recorded that album for the zoo. Cora lets the piano roll play as she shuffles back over to her seat at the dining room table. She sits down again with a sigh. The room seems to bend around her as she closes her eyes and breathes. After a moment, she opens them and looks up at the piano, its keys moving on their own. That used to be John Stonefall's piano. Just then the music changes, almost like it's on cue. And as she starts to tell the story, I feel the room disappear. It feels like I'm there, like I'm back in time. When John Stonefall stepped off a train in downtown Cleveland, he was one of the wealthiest men in the world. He had already made a fortune in oil. He got into steel a little later, but like they say, it was oil that cleaned his clothes. There was a car waiting at the station for him. The driver recognized him from a description he'd been given on a little piece of cardstock. Good afternoon, Mr. Stonefall. They drove for a while until the black smoke of the young city gave way to fields and farms. And then the driver stopped on the side of the road and got out and opened John's door. The driver bowed and stretched out his arm to a wide, shallow green hill. John breathed in deep 
It smelled just like he remembered, like honeysuckle and cow shit. John's people in New York had already drawn up the plans, and now that he saw the land, he knew it would be perfect. The perfect place for him and his new wife, Emma, to build their house and start a family. So he went back to New York full of the fire that is a solid plan. But babies don't follow plans, and Emma was pregnant before the foundation was even laid. John moved her out here early, though. Bought a little house nearby while the mansion was being built on the hill. And then the winter came. Winter of 1919, a good old-fashioned northern Ohio winter. And construction on the mansion had to stop because the ground froze solid. John went downtown and bought a brand new player piano for Emma to listen to. They spent the whole winter in that little house, listening to their new piano and dreaming of their life. And then in March, the baby came almost a month early in the middle of a snowstorm late at night. John called the doctor, but by the time the doctor got there, John was on the floor covered in blood. The baby was blue. Emma was in bad shape nearby. The baby was already dead and Emma died later that night. And that's where the story takes a turn. See, John had Emma and the baby buried behind the little house. But when they were digging the grave, he found something. This weird little stone disc about two inches across with a hole in the middle. He thought maybe it was a piece of jewelry from the old mound builders or just a weird fluke, but from that day forward, he started carrying it in his pocket everywhere. It was shortly after that that he started buying up all the nearby land and digging all its holes. During those years, he barely slept, and it seemed like he couldn't get away from dirt. Like dirt was everywhere, on his hands, in shirts, in his food, in his desk drawers at work, in his dreams. His hands twisted themselves into claws, and his breath would quicken at the mere mention of unturned earth. People also say he would mumble to the stone disc, which he had started wearing on a string around his neck, and that he seemed to listen to it, like it was whispering things to him. He had almost dug up half of Cleveland before he met Rose. He had just bought a new shovel from the hardware store and nearly injured the most beautiful woman as he was rushing out. People say she sort of snapped him out of it. He stopped digging almost immediately. Never even used that shovel. Not even once. Nobody knows what he was looking for. People thought maybe he was looking for more oil, but that didn't make sense. He'd been an oil man all his life, and he knew you don't find oil with a shovel. Of course, him and Rose ended up getting married, and they moved into the mansion when it was finished. But he never sold the little house. Emma's house. It sat empty for decades. They stored stuff in it or used it as offices, but the piano stayed the whole time. They say John would go alone and listen to it for years. And then John died, and the estate tried to sell the house, but people knew the story. They knew about the grave out back, so nobody wanted it. Almost nobody. Then along come my mom. She and old Eddie Critch, that's your boss's daddy, had little thing they had to keep quiet. She smiles a thin, knowing smile with a volume of history behind it. 
Anyway, he let her stay here. She was a singer. He gave her work doing music for the zoo, and we just sort of stayed. Eventually, we started paying rent. And when Eddie died and Eli took over at the zoo, it went up a bunch, and Mom was pissed. She died a few years later. And then the rent stayed the same for 20-something years. So here I am. Damn cheap for today. The piano roll has ended. I don't see how you live here knowing all that. Cora looks at Luke with the kindest eyes. Death don't bother me. And I try not to bother him. She just looks at him for like way longer than she ought to. Where is that pan? The one that burnt? It's outside on the driveway. Will you go get it for me, sweetie? Okay. Luke turns around and walks out of the screen door. As soon as it closes, Cora turns to me and her face catches fire with this intense energy. It's like she's becoming another person. She starts whispering quick and low. I dream people's deaths. That's what the dreams are. Don't you dare tell him. Why are you telling me then? Because there's something different about his dream. Like what? I don't know exactly. I usually dream the moment they die, but in his, he's already dead. What? Or at least he's in the ground. I keep dreaming of Luke underground. That's weird. That's not all. See, there's something... She stops. The screen door. Luke is coming back in. The intensity fades immediately and she returns to this lady that she's been for the last 20 minutes. Luke has a blackened pan with a hockey puck looking cake on it. I'll make you another one, honey. Luke sits the pan on the stove. There has to be some sort of squatter rights or something. Like, um, do you have a lease? No, baby. There hasn't ever been a lease. Cora reaches down and straightens one of the music boxes on the table in front of her. The mechanism is triggered and it starts to play a few notes. And then she looks around her house, her eyes watering. There's no trace of the strange woman she just was. It's creepy. Then she takes a breath. Well. And gets up. Gotta scrub that pan. No, no, no. You let me use. Just sit there and relax. Oh, come on now. Stop. I'm already doing it. Luke starts scrubbing the pan in the sink with the water running. I sit there sort of awkwardly. Um, I really like all your things. Your, your house is beautiful. I instantly feel stupid for talking about her house. I see her face turn sad again. I start to stammer and try to say I'm sorry, but she just raises her hand and cuts me off. It's okay. You just want to rewind that piano roll for me? Sure. You know how to do it? Yeah, I think. I absolutely do not. But I see that there's a crank, so I walk over and I start turning it. Seems to be working. I finish and the roll is back to its starting point. Then I look down. Put my hands on the keys. I play a note. It rings out. You can play a little if you want. I really, really do. It's such a nice piano. And I feel like pianos have their own wants and desires. And I feel like this one is flirting with me. I sit down. 
Whoa, you're good, kiddo. Thanks. So if your mom was a singer, do you sing? No. Not for years. And not ever like she did. Not for money. Singing the same songs over and over again while rich people eat? (laughs) No thanks. We would sing at home, though. I bet you know some of those zoo songs. God, I got sick of hearing those. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, what was the one? My hands try to find the melody. Um, you know, the, like, main theme? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the Pepper Heights Zoo theme? Yeah, oh the, it's like, if you want mm-hmm. something and you need a special friend. Mm-hmm. Come on. No. There's something, something, something where the party never ends. There's a little place that's something me and you. Then it's the food. Hang on. It's a pizza. Snacks. Yes. Something, 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 something. Team, she called me back. We can watch the sun go down. Your turn. No. Go on. Solo. As the Ferris wheel goes round. The animals and me and you. The animals and me and you. The animals and me and you at the Pepper Heights Zoo. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody else. They yell it in the background. That's great. Her face is beaming. She looks so happy. But then, just like a sunset, it starts to fade. And I see the sadness come back. I take my hands away from the keys. Luke comes out from behind the kitchen counter. The pan's all clean. I threw the cake out. Thank you, baby. I put the lid down on the piano over the keys and look up at Cora. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Who were you going to call? What? Downstairs, when we found you. Oh. Eli. Critch? Yeah. See, right before my mom died, she said to me, Cora, with all the things I had to give up in my life, at least I got you this house. And if they ever try to take it from you, you gotta fight them. It's yours, she said. Fine print. It's all in the deed. And I said, you know there ain't no deed, mama. And she said, no, look in the zoo deed. You have to get the deed for the zoo. I always thought it was the fever talking. But when you get desperate, I guess I thought I should at least try, but just couldn't bring myself to dial. Besides, I doubt Eli'd tell me even if he knows something. Eli, of all people. I'm sorry. I wish we could help. It's okay, baby. I'll figure something out. I look up at Luke. He's just standing there quietly. Okay, well... We'll get out of your hair. Yeah. You boys go have fun. She winks at me. I get up from the piano bench. Me and Luke are barely dressed, so we don't really need to get anything. I mean, I don't even have shoes on. A moment later, she unlocks the front door for us, opens it. Luke goes out first and trots down the walk, keeps going to the sidewalk. And I turn to politely say goodbye to Cora, 
but she grabs my arm in the doorway. That fire creature is back in her eyes. Look, I sent the cakes to your house because you are in his dream too. I don't know how or why, but I see you both in a grave. I don't know what to say. So I drift through the front door, eyes wide. After a few steps down the walk, I look back, but her door's already closed. I get to where Luke is waiting on the sidewalk. His face looks like he's upset. What was that about? Oh, nothing. She just told me to tell you she's going to make you another cake. Oh. I don't know, that's weird. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah, she's weird. I reach out and try to take Luke's hand. But he pulls his away. Why didn't you tell me? About what? About the cakes. I don't know. I just... I mean, at first I didn't know who you were. Like, this cake box shows up on my door and it has a name on it of a person I don't recognize. And the second one, I... I don't know, it was just early in the morning and I was hungry and I wasn't thinking it was stupid. I'm sorry. I look back up at him. He's staring right into my eyes. You knew the second one was for me, though. Yeah, but I didn't know if I'd see you again. You know? Like, I mean, that first one's still in the fridge. I can go get it now if you want it. He looks away and seems to fold inward on himself. It's probably stale anyway. We both just stand there, quiet. I feel all sorts of stupid and embarrassed and it's all bubbling up inside of me in a pouty rage. Well, I'm gonna, um, get to sleep, I think. He angles his body away from me. I can tell he doesn't want me to go with him. And I don't really do anything about it. Okay. Well, tonight was nice. I mean, earlier, you know. Yeah. He smiles a small smile and starts to walk away. Good night. He goes up onto the porch of the empty house and slips inside. And I realize that my flip-flops are still in there, but I'll just get them later. I start to walk the 40 feet of sidewalk back to Emily's. When from the corner of my eye, I see the lights come on in Cora's basement. It's a side window, one of those ones right down by the ground. And it makes the corridor of the side lawn between her house and the empty house glow. I stop. Wait, she's back in the basement. Why was she in the basement when we found her anyway? I look around. There's nobody out. So I creep through the grass to her side lawn so I can see in. The window is thick with grime. I look down through it into her basement. I can sort of see her foggy figure standing under a light bulb. I can't really see because of all the gunk on the window. So I crouch down on my knees and I get my face right up to it. And I lick my finger and I gently clean a patch of the glass. What the fuck am I doing? The rubbing works though and I can see better. Jesus. At this point I feel no better than those creepy little Girl Scouts. I see Cora standing just like we found her in the same place. But I can see now she's staring at a place in the wall where the cement is bulging, slightly, starting to crack and crumble at that spot. 
She gets closer to the bulge. Slowly she reaches out her hand and touches it, holds her hand on it, like somebody would a pregnant woman's belly. She closes her eyes and stands there for a few seconds. Then suddenly she opens them, turns around, and walks out of the room. A second later, the light goes off, and I just crouch there in the dark. Then I feel the wet grass itchy on my ankles. That's the last one right there. And now that everything's signed, it's all official. And we can just put all this behind us, forget about the whole thing. Doubtful. I trust you can find your own way out, Mrs. Henkelman. I'll be just fine. Oh, and Mr. Stonefall... I don't know what's got hold of you right now, but I see it's clawing up your hands, making you fiddle with that dirty thing round your neck, under your nice shirt and tie. But my daddy was a fruit farmer here, and his daddy was a fruit farmer here, and I've spent my whole life rooting around in this dirt. You can dig all you want, Mr. Stonefall, but be careful. Anyone who grows trees their whole life knows that they may be all apples up top, but the roots ain't nothing but a nest of serpents. Oh, I assure you, Mrs. Henkelman, it's the serpents I'm after. Dream Boy is co-created by Dane Terry and Ellie Heyman, developed and directed by Ellie Heyman, written, composed, and performed by Dane Terry, featuring Embolia Singley, Michael Cavadias, Renata Friedman, Gianna Massi, and Kathy Ang. Sound designed, engineered, mixed, and mastered by Chris Weingarten at Banana Peel Studio, edited by Alexander Charles Adams. Creative producer and assistant director, Ashlyn Hatch. Associate producer, Adam Cecil. Executive producer, Christy Grussman. A very special thanks to Night Vale Presents. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DreamBoyPodcast. For more info and for merch, check out DreamBoyPodcast.com. Hello, iPod broadcast listeners. My name is Meg, and I am one of the esteemed tri-hosts of the beloved iBroad Good Morning Night Vale. I, along with my hilarious friends, fellow Night Vale actors, passionate eaters, and soft-hitting journalists, Symphony Sanders and Hal Lovelin, are now over 100 episodes into our deep dive recap show of Welcome to Night Vale. We've tackled topics like soft meat crown head cannons, Cecil's fashion, and whether Steve Scones were really all that terrible, plus behind-the-scenes stories from the Night Vale creative family. And we've heard from listeners like you about queer representation, Night Vale named pets, major theories, minor questions, and of course, best and worst practices for, um, alternative spa therapy services. If you know, you know. 
Check out Good Morning Night Vale every other Thursday, wherever you get your eye broads, eye casts, pod broads, and podcasts. I think I like pod broads the best. I'm a real pod broad myself.